Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number seven. This week, we talk about an outside-of-the-box approach to silencing the iPhone camera shutter, how Apple cheats, and Jason starts hacking Orleans. Hello, Carl, episode number seven. Hey, Jason, how's it going? Good, good. We're almost up to the big 1-0. Yeah, we're getting there. Yep, definitely. So, uh, what's going on this week? Anything interesting? Uh, nothing too interesting with me. I just had a nice wind down to the week, uh, just... Uh, in between projects at work, switching from one team to another. So uh, oh, that, cool. that that always has a little bit of a, a changeover and a change of pace to it. Okay. So do you think the, the new project would be better than the last or it, vice it, versa? It, it's going to be a lot better than the last one. <laughs> <laughs> I know for a while you were doing VB.net. Um, I'll, I'll be back to VB.net, but I'll be away from the Oracle stuff. So, uh, Okay. VB.net, though, it's improved quite a bit, hasn't it, over the couple, a couple of years? Because I think it's reached... Uh, you know, I, I think the features are, are basically in parity now, aren't they? Or there's, there's, or there's still a couple things that are better or worse in each in each one pretty, as far as features. Pretty much. But th- there's a lot of things that just the way that the VB.net handles things, um, especially when it comes to, at least personally, uh, in inheritance and abstract classes, just, just the keywords that you use are just very uh, awkward to use. You know, okay. decorating your classes with must inherit. Mm-hmm. It's just... Um, instead of an abstract class that, that to me, that's just not intuitive. Um, yeah. I guess it's part of the way, that, uh, how I've learned and, and, and coded up till now and my familiarity with C sharp, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, I, I have a partner that is, they have a, a lot of legacy V, you know, VB.net code and they're, they're worried about support going away on it. But if you look, you know, the Roslyn, the compiler as a service that, uh, that, you know, came out recently, that's, that's open source. They fully has, support that. Yeah. It has full VB.net support. I, there it's, you know, the languages, I think at this point, it's, it's really just that, that top layer where the keywords are different, you know, the, just the, the way that it gets switched and, you know, c- compiled down into IL is different. So it's, it's, I think it's pretty, pretty minor to be able to support both languages, you know, basically equally at this point. Yeah, and, and at least in this area, in the in the enterprise realm, it's it's pretty pervasive. Mm-hmm. So um, if you know VB.net in the Northeast Wisconsin area, you're pretty secure for a long time. Yeah, yeah, I think there was a lot of VB shops that switched over to, to VB.net. So let's get into the news. So uh, a couple things here. Uh, I I saw some 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 interesting things. I I wouldn't necessarily even call them news, but they were you know things that happened this week that that I just found particularly interesting. So the first one, so let's talk about Stack Overflow for a minute because I, I, uh, I go there every once in a while and I've, I've had this idea in my head for, for quite a while to, to sort of challenge myself to go out there and, and do one of these 30-day challenges where I go out there and answer a question every day for 30 days. And when I first started looking at doing that, I went out there and I couldn't really find any good questions to answer. And uh, as I've been going back now, I've been, I, I think the key is to, is to target the types of topics that, that you really work with on a day-to-day basis. So for me, that's Azure. So I went yeah. out there and, you know, I filter by the Azure tag now, and I've actually been able to answer quite a few questions. So my, my, my really small score is finally starting to, to go up. Yeah, and another little tip with that too, is if you start making a few tags, your favorites, mm-hmm. when you go to the homepage, it's going to uh, filter those out for you and make them a little bit more prominent. Yeah. It'll put more of them in your feed. Plus it'll actually highlight them, you know, as a, a, a light color. So they stand out just a little bit more for you as well. Okay. And if there's some things that you don't want to, there's, I forgot what the exact term is, but there's a way for you to say, Hey, I, I don't want this. So if you don't ever want to see, you know, Ruby or JavaScript or 
whatever it is, it'll actually filter those away from you so you don't see those. Okay. Yeah, I haven't gone that far to configure that yet. I've mainly just hung out in particular tags, but uh, I should definitely dive in and do that. But I, I had, uh, I have a list of tags of topics that I was interested in and I, you know, that that's, that's fine for one case, but for answering questions, that's not necessarily a good idea. So I'm interested in things like Node.js and I've actually written quite a bit of Node.js code, but I'm not that great at answering questions at this point. I'm not, you know, I'm not working with it on a day-to-day basis. Whereas with Azure, I'm working on, you know, with that on a day-to-day basis. So I've been really focusing on answering, you know, really just trying to help people out that, that, you know, are new to it and are just trying to figure out how things work and do troubleshooting and things like that. So I've been trying to help out. But anyway, I, I came across this question this week and I, I thought this one was, was, was a really neat question. This was not, not under Azure. This is actually an iPhone question. Uh, so somebody was trying to, they were trying to capture a, a photo, but they wanted to turn off the, they basically wanted to mute the the shutter sound, the sound that you know the the phone makes whenever they go to take that picture, and I I just get a kick out of the the answers. We'll include the question in the show notes, but there's a whole bunch of answers saying you know like here's a whole bunch of co- complicated Objective C to to try to turn this off, and you know he keeps trying different things, and and some of it works better than others, and somebody in here had a really really novel approach to this, so they actually went in. They wrote some code to capture the shutter sound. So the actual sound, you know, generated and uh, and played through the speaker. And what they did then is they brought that into Audacity and they actually inverted the sound. So they made the sound, you know, complete waveform opposite of the original sound. And then what they do is they included some sample code in here to basically play the inverted sound clip whenever the shutter plays in the application. So they're effectively, uh, you know, they're they're not actually making it so that the phone doesn't playing it doesn't play it. It's actually that the phone is playing two waveforms, one that's the inverse of the other, and the the you know the sum the result of the of the sound is actually silence. Yeah, this is a pretty you know, clever technique, but it's exactly what uh, the active noise canceling headphones like the ones that Bose have uses. Yeah, that's they a good point. Exact, they just have a, a microphone that listens for the ambient noise and they can cancel it out. Yeah. They're sort of generating anti-sound into your ears, right? Yeah. And that's the exact same tech that the technique that he's using. So what I really liked about this question, because I saw it independently from you as well, mm-hmm. is that, you know, it, it's not something, you know, a huge mental leap to do, but it's taking something that's not quite so obvious and trying to, you know, you know, it seems like it would be simple to, Hey, let's delete this sound. Mm-hmm. But that's not really quite what you have to do because you do have to make a little leap to get over the uh, uh, the limitations of the platform. Yeah, I, I just thought this was so clever. This is a guy that that really knows how to think outside the box. Yeah, it was a really good example of that. Yeah, so I just wanted to throw that out there. I thought that was interesting. And then actually, you know, it's kind of funny because the first first couple things to talk about here are all Apple related, but that's all right. We uh, and we this look- one's also about getting around platform limitations as well. Yep, exactly. So. So this one was called How Apple Cheats, and it was, you know, it was a little bit of link bait. I, I, I admit it. I didn't write it, but it was, you know, I clicked on it because it was called How Apple Cheats. And Everybody did. Yeah. <laughs> so this one was interesting because it's talking about a, a control, and I'm not, actually, I'm not familiar with this control. It's the uh, UI popover controller, it looks like. So it's a control that iOS provides, but it doesn't provide, it doesn't, um, if you try to use it as a, as a standard developer, 
it actually just bombs. It, it just throws an error and, and crashes. And uh, somebody actually dove into the code to figure out what was going on here. So they, they were looking through the code and it's actually hard coded for like, there's, there's actually some strings in here. It says bundle identifier dot is equal to string. And then the string is com dot apple dot ibooks. And there's another one in here, mobile safari, another one that's iTunes, another one that's Apple maps. So they are just, they're literally in this control saying, Hey, if I'm being called by, you know, an one app of those. that's, yeah, an op, an app that's not whitelisted, just, just, just crash, you know, don't, don't allow this to happen. And, uh, so when I first saw this, I'm like, Oh, Apple, you know, they're, they're, they're so evil. Uh, but I started thinking about it and this is actually a pretty common practice. I, I don't, I don't think they should necessarily get, you know, sort of lambasted for this. I, I, I think this is, this is actually something that happens, uh, you know, fairly regularly. This happens with, with every company. So what ends up happening? And I, I guess we can use a, an office or like a Microsoft product as an example in, in the office products, there's a whole bunch of different controls and, you know, word and Excel and that, and those aren't, you know, some of those are available in the, in visual studio as controls, or they get released as controls, but you know, the, a lot of those just are not, um, you know, they're not distributed for developers to use, or, you know, I'm sure there's even things on, on windows phone where, where that's the case where it just wasn't developed for that. And the reason for that is it's, it's a lot easier to, you know, develop something for, for one specific use case or, or just a, a list of known cases than it is to just open something up and say, yes, all you developers can do this and here's the documentation and we're going to support it. And, you know, it's really the 80, 20 rule. It's 80% of the work for this type of control would be um, all of those other things that actually make it ready for other people to use. So I don't, I don't think this is uh, you know, I don't think this was particularly evil by, by Apple. I'm actually going to stand up for him on this one. Yeah, uh, another example on uh, the Windows Phone platform is that uh, you can navigate to other apps via URIs. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the common uh, things that people want to link to are things in the settings. So I could jump straight to uh, the Wi-Fi settings or the Bluetooth settings. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the ones that weren't initially released was for the battery saver. Mm -hmm. Um, That URI was kept private for a while. And, you know, it wasn't much for, you know, Microsoft to say, here it is. But for their own reasons, they said not on this version. Now yeah. with the current with the current SDK, they did release what that URI is. But before, um, if you weren't able to guess it, you couldn't use it. So okay, yeah, and I mean, just keep in mind, all of those things take, you know, t- it takes time for somebody to, to to actually do that. And I, I wish I, I wish some of those things were as simple as just having you know an intern go in there and you know set some boolean flags to true. But unfortunately, that's that's not the case. There's yeah. You know, I, I don't even know what kind of issues the, you know, I don't know anything about how the, the Windows phone team works, but, you know, I can only imagine it's just like any feature in Windows. It's like, oh, how can that be so difficult? But they have, you know, a lot of different regions and uh, languages that they need to support. And then there's. And they have limited resources as well. I mean, yeah. we don't know with this control with Apple if there is some sort of performance issue that there is and perhaps that they knew that they could work around it. Right. But right. May, maybe there was a, you know, if you used it incorrectly, there's a, a memory leak that's easy to expose. Right. So, right. you know, we don't know. It's all speculation, but you know, it's interesting that, you know, he was able to uh, go in there, um, actually find, you know, that it was hard coded and just kind of put a little bit more, you know, exposure out there that, Hey, you know, companies are doing this and mm-hmm. no, you can't, you know, use that control yet. Yep. Unless you jailbreak and you, basically change the code mm-hmm. and then you can do whatever you want. 
It's your device. So I just thought that one was interesting. So next story, see so you have something in here around uh, Surface. You want to talk about the uh, the Reddit AMA? Sure. So uh, as we all recall, last week we we talked about um, the Surface 3 release. And uh, this past week, Panos Panay, which is the director for the Surface team, uh, he was on Reddit doing an Ask Me Anything. And um, I don't know if you've had a chance to look at this, Jason, but you know there, there's just a, mm-hmm. a chance for people to go and, and ask questions. Um, some of them are a little bit more... Uh, you know, simple, but, uh, you know, one of the ones I thought was interesting, but they still never answered is, you know, with this first surface, they showed off the, you know, the possibility for a blade type keyboard and that right. you could just swap those out and why we haven't seen any yet because they showed the, uh, uh, the one for that uh, would mix sound and do stuff like that. And right, right. they were, they specifically asked what's going on with it. And they just said, wait and see at this point. Yeah. Which, and, I, and I don't, I don't have any inside information on that, but you know, one thing that, that pops into my mind, I know that the, the covers were improved from, from the first gen to the second gen. Um, I, I don't think it was, you know, nothing was, was too major there. I think the connector for the most part was the same. Um, I, it, my understanding is the connector is still the same, but, um, I know that, you know, the form factor for the new keyboard on the service pro three is bigger. Um, so I, I wonder if, if part of this is just the, the fact that, that the specs for, for, you know, what a, a new keyboard look like are changing. And that's, that's gotta, that's gotta throw um, a wrench into it. Cause imagine if, if uh, you know, it was some people were developing these, uh, these touch covers for the, the old size. And now this new device comes out, you know, like, you know, where are you at then? So, you know, that, I think that that just makes it a little complicated, but yeah, I, so I looked at the, the AMA, I looked at it kind of while it was, you know, happening. And that wasn't too incredibly useful. You really to, to, to get to, if you really want to see answers out of these things, you have to kind of wait for everything to finish and see all the answer or all the questions that get answered. Yeah. Uh, we'll link to one of the summaries by WP central, but it, yeah. I kind of like it because they kind of curate that for you. So yeah. we'll include a link to that. And I, I know a lot of people are still interested in that. In fact, this week, uh, there was a lot of news about enterprises being really interested in it. Mm-hmm. Which kind of leads into the next thing that we wanted to talk about was um, there was a third party partner had announced that they're releasing a surface charging cart that'll hold up to 36 surfaces of mm-hmm. any any maker model or generation, mm-hmm. um, which is really interesting because this really opens up uh, the possibility for uh, educational uses for you know a classroom to have enough for everybody to have, and then they can still put them back in the in the cart and charge them all at once and maintain them. Yeah. So. This is amazing. If you only look at one link on, in the show notes, take a look at this. I, I, I find this thing amazing because um, some people might not find it as amazing as me, but I, you know, I worked at a company where we bought, I think we bought some somewhere around 150 iPads and we had to figure out, you know, like just even how to charge them, um, you know, just when we were setting them up and we had different training areas where we had, uh, you know, stacks and stacks of these things. And we had to figure out, figure out how to charge them. And there were some, some, solutions out there but this cart just looks it just looks absolutely amazing the the engineering that went in this this thing is is pretty amazing and it looks like there's a couple different sizes yeah but, and there's some pretty pretty detailed pictures on that post too so if you yeah. want to take a look at that i mean th- this is a finished product that they're taking pictures of it's not a render or anything else like that oh this is totally the real deal and you know this reminds me of a little bit I, i'm just my, my head's kind of spinning right now because i was thinking of the um you know the old death traps whenever we were 
whenever we were in school where they had the the giant like you know i don't know it might have been smaller than this but 32 or 35 inch tv on the top of those stands you remember those and they had <laughs> yep, it strapped down um i wonder how many deaths there were from those things because you know those things were so top heavy but it's just amazing because you know think of the the education value and the you know just the education value in this tiny little cart it's just it just blows my mind you, you have a class you hand these things out um you know if you if you if you give people devices and you, you know kids devices and you you tell them to take them home i mean come back the next day out of 35 of these half of them are going to be broken so you know the fact that that you can use this in a school maybe just for particular classes um that's that's pretty cool and also have a place to you know centrally secure them um you know that that's huge yeah i i think this this you know when when people talk about ecosystem around devices you know everybody thinks it's it's all about the apps but uh you know in 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 places like education and and in business you know a lot of times it's just one or two apps or or you know just a handful of apps and whenever you start talking about ecosystem this is really what's important um the ecosystem of the the hardware that you need you know having the right cases having a way to charge them just a way to manage them you know enterprises want to be able to manage devices so I, I think that 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 whole story is is finally starting to come to fruition now, and I think this is just this is just a sign of that. That's why I'm so excited about this. Yeah, and, and especially as we talk about the educational aspects, Microsoft has really been making a huge push there with their uh, uh, version of Bing mm-hmm. for education, and just you know the massive discounts that they give to uh, schools of all sorts. Yeah, my, the the school that my kids go to, they you know they it's funny because they're well not really funny they're they're always you know, looking for money. It's a, it's a, um, it's a private, private school that we, we sent my, my kids to, cause my, my son was getting bullied at the public school. So we, we sent him to a little bit smaller school and this, so the school is, is just always, always looking for money. And they actually went out and they bought a stack of, um, I think they were iPad minis. And then, uh, you know, I had a couple of conversations with them and, and I said, Hey, you know, we have awesome programs for education. I, I don't know all the, the details around it, but you know, education can get, uh, you know, huge discounts on software. And I think even now with the the surface device, they could actually get those at a, at a big discount and the ability to use things like OneDrive and use office on here. And, um, I don't know, a lot of the education apps that are available now, I, I think they would have been as happy, if not more happy with the, with the surface de- devices, to be honest with you. So anything else you want to talk about there? Oh, one one thing here, Carl, um, on the ask me anything. So there's, uh, I was just kind of looking through the, the questions here. I didn't find anything too exciting. I mean, the battery that was kind of interesting about replacing the battery. There is an option to do that. Um, basically the answer was, Hey, this battery will last forever. Um, if that's, if that's not true, we'll replace it for 200 bucks. Um, but the, the one question that, that was really my big question was about the battery life between the i3, the i5, and the i7. Yep, and I found the answer to be for to this to be particularly interesting myself. Well, so so they're they're you know Panos is saying or the the Surface team is saying that the battery life is going to be the same. And so here's my take on that. And again, I, I don't have any inside information on this, but what I suspect is that doing the same task across all three of these processors, they're going to use the same amount of power. I mean that's that's a function of the processor itself, and that's just been my my experience and, and my reading about these things is, is, you know, doing the same task uses about the same power. That being said, 
I'm pretty confident. I, I would I would bet quite a bit of money on this that if you were using the i7 and you were you know fully utilizing the power of the i7, you could drain that battery very quickly. Now this this isn't you know normal stuff that people would do, but if you were on battery and you were doing let's say video encoding, you know with handbrake or something like that, where it's actually using every single core, I mean, let, let's be honest here, the battery is not going to last. Um, so I think I think what what the i7 really gets you is the ability to you know just kind of go into overdrive. Yeah. Well, the the thing too is when they mentioned the battery, they talked about it under normal like web usage. Yeah, so exactly. You're not going to exactly. be pegging anything anyways during those scenarios. So exactly. on, on your average light, you know, consumption, light, you know, uh, typing office applications, whatever, you're, you're going to be about the same across them. But like you said, if, if you, you know, install the latest games, mm-hmm. you know, it, you're going to drain them faster on those higher end processors. Yeah. You're, you're going to get better performance, but you know, it's going to come at a cost. You, you don't just get free power, you know, without, without using your, your battery a little bit faster. Um, so, you know, that was, that was, uh, that was one thing I wanted to point out, but, yep. um, it's, it's, you know, should be sort of obvious. Yeah. Well, uh, like I said, one of the reasons why I wanted to get this out there, there was nothing mind breaking, nothing just huge, but mm-hmm. it's still, you know, a big topic from last week and it does answer a lot of small questions. So, yeah. you know, we just want to put that out there for everybody to, you know, check out if they feel like it. Yep. There is a 99% chance I'm going to get one of these. I'm still trying to figure out um, the details about how I'm going to acquire one, but uh, in yeah. other words, how you're going to get Microsoft to get you one. Well, yeah, that, <laughs> that, that would, that would be ideal, but uh, I am, I'm standing by, I have a stack of gift cards here and you know, my, I will put my money up for one of these things. I'm uh, I'm ready. Even though I have the, the X one carbon touch, the, the first gen, I'm not a fan of that thing. I just, I'm having so many issues with it. So moving on, uh, I wanted to, the Azure topic I want to talk about this week. There's there's a couple things, and I wanted to sort of you know walk you through, um, you know, I, some some things that I've been thinking about and working on. So this past week I've been working with a, a technology that we now have in public preview. It's called uh, Orleans, and it comes out of Microsoft Research. So I'm going to get to that in a minute, but I want to I want to sort of set the stage here um, with with a little bit of background. So let's talk about Erlang. So. I, I don't know a whole lot about Erlang. Um, I know it was a language developed, you know, quite a while ago and it was for like phone switching equipment. I think, you know, basically phone type switching equipment where you had environments where the software, I should say the, you know, the, the overall application that, that ran the switching system had to be extremely uh, reliable. I mean, you don't want, you just don't want, you know, drop calls or, or if you're transferring data or anything like that, you just don't want that to fail. And, you know, hardware failure obviously is, is, is guaranteed. So you need application resilience across hardware failures. And Erlang did this. Um, there was, there's actually a whole list of, of things that they did to, you know, to, to get to this level of reliability. But one of the key portions of this was the, what was something known as the actor model, where you have these, these actors that they'd have to follow certain rules. They can, they, they can't use any kind of shared state. They can, you know, an actor can talk to other actors and, you know, I, I don't need to get into the, the details of that, but it was an interesting model for, for building applications where they were, they were scalable and reliable sort of built into the base design, as long as you followed a, a few simple rules. Um, and now if you look at, if you look at where we're at today with Azure, 
when when Azure first, uh, you know, I guess quote unquote came out, you know, it was I, I started playing around with it um, back when it was the I think it was a developer preview from uh, 2008. I think it was announced originally at like PDC 2008, and um, I I heard about you know how this thing worked, and basically at the time it was PaaS, it was uh, web and worker roles at the time. Um, exclusively and you had things like you had you had issues with uh, you know you couldn't just take your application and run it up there you had to change the trust level and it took a ton of work to get your applications to work in there so and 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 just the general scale model of Azure I I was not a fan I, I didn't really like the fact that you had to um, you you everything was was in form of instances you know like you you were still bound to this whole computer model where you know, I need five machines and and if things get busy, I'm going to need 10 machines. So I, I actually wasn't a huge fan of uh, of Azure when it came out. Now, fast forward a couple of years and, and things really changed. Um, you know, we have things like auto scaling today. Um, you know, the, the whole architecture has has really changed quite a bit where it's it really is starting to become elegant in how this works. There's no trust issues. You know, if you're using web and worker roles, they're they're pretty easy to use. You can also and I think I've talked about this on the show before, but you can actually just take a website and, you know, you can easily within 60 seconds, push that up to Azure and run it up there. Web services, those types of things. You also can do, you know, via virtual machines and in IaaS, you can just take your existing virtual machines that are running your system and just kind of forklift any kind of application in there. So Azure has, you know, matured over time and, and, and you can, you can do some really cool things with it. And, and people are starting to, you know, not just, move their applications out there, but starting to re-architect them. So um, one thing, one thing I want to mention before I get into to Orleans, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm sort of doing a, a little bit of a buildup here. Um, whenever we're talking about these, these instances on Azure, where we have, you know, an application, let's say we're running our data tier, we're running a SQL server, and then we have uh, let's just mush everything else together. We have, you know, this 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 tier, this web tier that maybe just talks to the database. So you have uh, a website and you have a SQL database. Um, so you actually have SQL installed on a virtual machine up there. If you want that to to be reliable in a cloud world, I mean, it's it's still it's running on a you know those those machines are those virtual machines are still just single machines. They can they can die for whatever reason. The the host that they're running on could be rebooted for updates. Um, the the hardware could fail. The rack that they're in could fail. You know things can can just generally go wrong, right? So the way that this is handled, and I'm I want to put this article in the show notes because we we haven't done the best job of of explaining this in the past. And there's a there's a what I think is a pretty concise article explaining how to manage availability in, in Azure. And it, it actually has some diagrams and talks about a couple different scenarios. But the way that we manage this is that we say, uh, you know, for that SQL server that you're running up there, what you actually want to do is you want to run two instances of a SQL server on two different virtual machines. And then you want to put those into an availability set. And then you want to, you know, essentially load balance across the, uh, you know, across those two, two machines. So that as requests come in, it'll, it'll, you know, they get, um, it goes across those two machines. Then what ends up happening, if one of those machines dies for some reason, then the other one is there to, you know, to handle, handle all of the traffic. So we're not, we're no longer bound to, we're no longer going to crash when a, when a single machine crashes. 
so this this article does a really good job of explaining how this works because essentially you have this concept of fault domains which are things that can fail together so if you have two machines what's going to happen is you're going to have one that's in fault domain zero and you're going to have another machine that's in fault domain one and what that means is those machines can't fail together either fault domain zero is going to is going to die for whatever reason or fault domain one is going to die for whatever reason and by die i mean you know like i said host crash um you know network the 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 rack or whatever you know that that crashes so the fault domains it 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 pushes the machines apart it makes sure that they're not sitting you know on the same common hardware that that could die at the same time so it sort of spreads them out and makes it so that that um you know your application will be reliable then we also have this concept of update update domains which is um, you know, sort of similar, but what update domains are used for, you you get more update update domains and fault domains. Fault domains, you just get two today. So you you basically get zero and one. It just alternates between those. Now, update domains are for actually doing host updates. So if you think about it, you know, the, the hosts in Azure, the actual machines that are running, you know, the virtual machines up in Azure, they're just Windows server machines. So they need patches as well. They need patches monthly or maybe more often, less often, depending on, on what the patches are. And we manage all of that. So what we end up doing is um, it, as a host needs to get, as hosts need to get up, updated, a process will go through and it will, it will shut down. It will, it will um, basically tell those machines, you know, Hey, you, you need to shut down. You, we need to move you somewhere else. And uh, it will update the host and then that machine comes back up. So if, if you're on Azure today, what will end up happening is you'll get these emails every once in a while. And they've been, um, you know, sort of frustratingly um, frequent. And, and there, you know, I know that, that there's, there's things in play right now to help make those emails uh, less frequent and or go away. So, you know, whenever you get one of those emails that says, hey, we are, we are going to go through and we're going to shut down your machines one by one. And it, but it also says, hey, you don't need to worry about this if you're using availability sets, which is where, you know, like what I said, where you have more than one of these things in an availability set so that they can sort of work together and you always have one machine that, that stays up, you know, full time, even whenever the other one is, it has, you know, has hardware that's crashed or whose uh, host is being updated. So that all being said, now we can actually talk about Orleans. So or like I said, I, I've been playing around this quite a bit this week and, and at that conference in, in August, I'll be, I'll be speaking about this as well. But this, this framework fascinates me because it's, it's getting close to, um, it, you know, a design that I hope that, that Azure would originally adopt. And, uh, I think we're finally getting there. We finally have sort of the foundation and now we're able to build these types of applications. So what Orleans does is it lets you run, um, what are called, they, you know, they call them silos. And a silo um, essentially would run, let's say, one per per machine up in Azure. And it's basically a container for something called grains, which in, in Erlang they would be called actors. But in this case, they're called grains. And these, uh, these grains can do various pieces of work. And what's interesting about grains is that they don't actually have to they don't actually have to exist they can sort of exist virtually so this works really good for things like the the halo um game match system and and it keeps track of all the different stats within halo so this thing this thing was you know sort of co-developed for specifically for halo and what it does in halo is it has these these grains these actors that represent each player 
they represent each game. You know, there's one actor and you can sort of think of these things as like object instances where they, you know, they represent a, a particular instance of something. And what's great about this is that you can have literally, you know, hundreds of millions, potentially even billions or, you know, um, you know, an infinite number of, of grains and the Orlean system itself manages these between the, the various silos. So you can actually start to do things like, you know, scale up to 10 or, or 20 machines and uh, you can run, you know, one or more silos on those machines. And then you can run all of these grains concurrently. And if you have more grains than, you know, actually fit within memory on these machines, they can be persisted to, you know, some kind of scalable storage up in Azure. And I know we've talked about that before. So they could be stored in table storage, for example. So you can have a, a player that's playing and whenever you whenever you try to load up one of the you know this player grain it will see if it exists in memory your code actually doesn't worry about it you say give me this player it will first look in memory to see if if that exists if it doesn't exist in memory then it will you know rehydrate it from from that that persistent storage but again your code doesn't have to worry about things like persistence so you can you can start to do really interesting things with this you get this this sort of cloud scalability um, you know, as long as you follow a, a small set of rules, you get a super high level of availability um, and and uh, fault tolerance. So even as these machines are are dying underneath, it just it really doesn't matter because the sort of the Orlean subsystem uh, takes care of those types of things for you. So like I mentioned, I'll be talking about you know Orleans in depth at at that conference. You know, if you're going to be in the Wisconsin area and you're going to be going to that conference, I I recommend um, you know obviously checking out my my presentation there, but uh, I have I have some ideas of of things that I'm I'm working on on top of Orlean. So some of my potential use cases I have one is is in the the IoT the Internet of Things space where you know you have grains that represent uh, devices. So if you have you know 100 devices in your house, you can have a grain that represents each one. And I'm trying to figure out how you could do you know like real time analysis of of those data streams. And, uh, you know, other interesting things with the, the relationships and, and the, the data on those things. And then the other one is, is actually figuring out if I can model the conference itself. So have a, a grain for each attendee and a grain for each room that people can be in. And then, you know, figure out, I've been working with some other people to figure out, you know, how we can actually incorporate in some, some other aspects of the conference and get it into Orleans and, and use that as my demo. Because uh, I think everybody yeah. understands that. <laughs> I think I think everybody understands, you know, the the concept of a an attendee and a room and those types of things. Did you get a dog, Carl? <laughs> yes, my dog is going nuts right now. I didn't even know you had a dog. Yeah, we we've had him for four years now. Oh, really? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the dog must it must is he always put away when I go over there, or did I just forget about him? Maybe you forget funny. about him. He's oh, okay. he, he's normally really quiet, but. There's you. new people around right now. Yeah, I got you. Um, so that's kind of all I want to talk about with Orleans. I just, I, you know, I'm just kind of excited about it right now because, um, you know, I've been playing around with it. I think what I'm going to end up doing, if you watch my uh, my GitHub, uh, you'll probably see some code pop into there, so you can kind of see what I'm working on as I as I work on it. Um, but I have some some things that I that I want to model, and I I just I find it really interesting that you can you can build these you know, super, you know, really quickly that the developer experience on this, once you, once you actually get the, the, the system up and running, building these grains is, is not much more difficult than just building a regular class. 
there's not a whole lot that you have to decorate it with. And then, um, you know, talking to other grains is, is pretty trivial. They handle the communications for you. There's some default persistence in there. So I'm just, I'm really excited to start playing around with this and see, you know, what kind of capabilities there are. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm pretty excited to see what you come up with because a lot of times, you know, when you see a concept like this, sometimes it may seem a little bit abstract, but once you, you get it in code and you can work through it a little bit, you, it's easier to internalize and understand. So, yeah, because yeah. I read, um, you know, I kind of read the project overview and I sort of got it. What really made it click for me was was going out there. There's actually samples on CodePlex right now. So I went out and I actually looked at those samples to see for the for the they have like a tic-tac-toe example. There's a couple other examples out there. And uh, that would in, be a good one to do because that, I mean, tic-tac-toe is often, you know, a task that you do even in uh, for your homework and computer science courses. So it's, you know, a pretty simple and easy to internalize when mm -hmm. you see how to do something that you already know how to do. But in an example like this, you know, you don't have to worry about the logic. You, you can see what they're trying to show you. Yeah. So what I always go for is I always look at what are their grains, you know, like what, what are their object types that they're using? You know, what are their actors? So in that case, you know, there's probably uh, player grains and then there, you know, I don't know, there might be like a board grain and then there might be a grain for, for like each space in there. So I, I think that's, um, I think that's pretty cool. I, I just went through the samples. I looked at all the different types of grains and the different types of applications we're using. That's what really helped me understand how you develop this. So now I got to come up with, you know, what my grains look like and then, you know, just start, start coding them out there and, and I'm, I'll throw it up on, on GitHub and I'm going to keep working on this at least through, through August, you know, cause I, I'm interested in it for the manufacturing industry, but then also for just helping people understand it at that conference. I'm, I'm really pushing for, for people to start, you know, looking at, at this type of technology on top of Azure. Cause I think in, in this new cloud world, you know, you really have to, you know, ask yourself, like, how do I, how do I really take advantage of this? How do I, how do I create a cloud native application and not, you know, you can just move your, you know, you can just forklift your application up there, but there's, you know, you don't get a whole lot out of that. There's not going to be huge, you know, very big cost savings, you know, new business models, things like that. So any, anything else there, Carl? No, I think you did a great job on that. Okay. Um, let's move on to the app of the week. Yep. This week's app of the week is one from Microsoft. It's hashtag WP dev. Now this is a, an interesting app app that's uh, so WP dev uh, stands for windows platform developer. Um, it's aimed at those who uh, basically are interested in our podcast. If you're in into uh the Microsoft stack and your developer, this is for you. Mm -hmm. um, so the app, uh, it has uh, current news articles that are in there. Um, it has a social aspect to it too. So if you, uh, it basically grabs all of the tweets that have hashtag WP dev mm -hmm. um, and it'll put it through there. So if somebody has a new resource, um, th that might be a good way to just find out new, um, you know, technologies, new techniques. A lot of people put, uh, you know, blog, their own blog posts on there mm -hmm. and uh, you know, just another way to get, you know, really good information. They also have a section called tech, tech advisors mm -hmm. and there are, uh, that's got uh, people that are in the leadership or technical knowledge areas in Microsoft. It has Microsoft MVPs listed there. So if you need uh, some advice on something, 
they're really great resources to reach out to and it has their contact information. Yep. And I see uh, Jason short in that list and yep. he was on our last episode. Yep. And then I uh, see uh, Jeff Blankenberg on there. Uh, we're going to have him on a future episode. Yep. A, a lot of really great people that many of us already know. Yeah. Um, there's also a resources section that has uh, uh, links to really good places for training or information about technologies. Mm-hmm. Um, then it also has uh, another section for partner resources. And one of the interesting things as we went through there is um, some of the ones we've already talked about, like last week, ad rotators on there. Okay. Um, so it's not just, you know, partners as in, you know, they offer a service that, you know, to pay for some of them are just, uh, you know, free open source projects as well. Okay. Yeah. And I've been getting notifications from this too. Yep. So when, when they have new articles out there, it'll do push notifications to Mm -hmm. uh, notify you that, Hey, there's something new. You might want to check it out. Yeah. Yeah. That's good stuff. So this is, um, just kind of looking through here. Is this is this, you know, focused mostly on Windows Phone or is this just Windows overall? It, so if you look at the history of kind of the, the hashtag WPDev, um, that hashtag originally did start with the Windows Phone, but um, Microsoft is making a bigger, bigger push for the Windows platform. So, mm-hmm. you know, as we see universal apps and um, that you can build both at the same time, they just really want you to, you know, uh, be successful anywhere within their stack. I, th- I think that's one of the real big, you know, pushes recently from Microsoft is they don't care what you're doing as long as you're kind of using something from them. You know, mm-hmm. even if you are targeting uh, somebody else's hardware. Yeah, and I think I think Windows at this point is just Windows. I, the the distinction between mobile and uh, and tablet and desktop, I, I think, is it's getting thinner and thinner. Yeah, it's getting thinner and thinner. So I mean, if you're if you're a developer the, you know, the, the thing, the topics that you're interested in, I think are going to be, you know, usually be about the same, no matter what you're, you're focusing on. Yep. Um, I'll go ahead. And, and, and this week I'm not going to have one every week, but this week I have a tip of the week. It's something that I saw this morning and Mm kind of blew me away. It's for uh, windows phone 8.1. So if you have the developers preview, or if you're one of the uh, lucky people to already get like a, a Nokia 630, Mm-hmm. Uh, in the notification center, you can dismiss individual uh, notifications one by one by flicking it to the right. Mm-hmm. But what I found out today, so I've had Windows Phone 8.1 for about two months now. If you flick with two fingers, all of your notifications will get dismissed all at once. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So that's just something I wanted to pass on. Um, yeah, you know, that's not the type of thing, too, that you you figure out on your own. Yeah, and, and sometimes it is, but, you know, I found it really useful already. So I thought I'd just pass it on to everybody else. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking about this, I wonder, is that, um, you know, I, I usually look at, you know, core applications and an operating system for, um, for UI guidelines, even if they're not published, I, I go to those for, for inspiration. So I'm wondering if there's cases where you're writing your own application, you have similar functionality, you know, if, if it makes sense to, to do something like that so that you have consistency uh, you know, with the notifications and and also with the with items in your own application, just just a thought. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, when uh, the mobile UIs first started came, coming out uh, with the iPhone, a lot of people, like in their mail, did you know the the slide to delete mm-hmm. kind of thing, and that became a standard. And or the, pull yeah, to refresh. That was my next example. Yep. Pull to refresh. <laughs> so this is something that you can kind of think. You know, hey, is am I building an app that could use? Uh, 
a feature like this. So yeah, that's a really good point you brought up there, Jason. Yeah. Well, thank you, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think that's, uh, that's pretty much all we had on the list. Huh? Anything else? No, uh, you can contact us at feedback at msdevshow.com and uh, we'll get back to you if you have any other comments. Um, I also um, am at wpdevguy.com or you can reach me at Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. Okay. And you can find me at ytechie.com or on Twitter at, uh, at twitter.com slash ytechie.com.